gospel account. And the setting in that passage, if you'll remember, was in a town called Jericho. And it was just before the Passover celebration, which brought many travelers through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem uh, for the celebration. And it was there in that passage at the end of chapter 18 that we met a man. He was blind. He was poor. He was sitting along the roadside begging travelers for money. And when that blind man doing probably what he did every day, heard an extra commotion coming from the road and asked the the people around him what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. But if you remember, what did the blind man do then? Did he shout, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me? No, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. To say Jesus of Nazareth is just like saying, you know, oh, Bob from Kansas. But no, he's saying, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, Messiah of God. And even though those around him scolded him, told him to be quiet, he shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus stopped and healed him, that man had a very personal encounter with Jesus. And it it led to a a very real change, a, a physical change, but also a spiritual change. It says that his faith saved him. And that man's encounter with Jesus led him to praise God and to follow Jesus. I have to wonder, when it says that that man followed Jesus, I have to wonder, were they talking, you know, like figuratively? As in, this man mentally and spiritually followed Jesus, that he was now a believer in Jesus? Or did that man actually, physically follow Jesus? Because if that's the case, then that man's going to be amongst the crowd that we see in our passage today. Um, And possibly even leading up to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that we'll look at next week. And even maybe the events of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. I don't know that for certain, but I think it's a logical conclusion that the man that Jesus healed, that we talked about last week, is still amongst the followers of Jesus, um, still, uh, as we're going to talk about today. So we're going to pick up today in Luke chapter 19, and Jesus is he's still making his way through the, the town of Jericho. We're still in the same place, and there's going to be all these spectators around. There's still a crowd. There's still a lot of things happening. But before we get to the passage, let us, let us pray that God would illuminate our understanding. Holy Spirit, there is so much that we give our attention to. But we pray that you would help us this morning to center our thoughts on your truth communicated to us through your word. As we reflect on this passage, illuminate our minds and speak to our souls. Draw us into your grace and give us a greater understanding of your gospel and love. Amen. Uh, The translation I'm going to be using this morning, and I'll kind of say why later, is the English Standard Version, so the ESV. Normally we use the NRSV, but today I'm going to use the ESV. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10, but we're going to go through them in just little chunks at a time. It's a pretty well-known story 
as I mentioned to the, to the kiddos, there's even a little children's song about it. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, a wee little man was he. Yeah, y'all know it. But let's first zero in on just the first two verses of chapter 19. So it says, he, the he there is Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. We're going to pause here because these first two little kind of introductory lines into this section tell us a lot. Verse 1 tells us that he's still passing through Jericho. I talked more about Jericho last week, so I'm not going to rehash all that. But again, remember what we talked about last week with that blind man. He's probably still following Jesus. He's still amongst the crowd there. I just think that's maybe an interesting thought to keep in mind that you know, it's not like we just take that one story last week and we just kind of leave it there. We have to, it's, it's a narrative. It, it goes with us into this story today. No time has really passed. We're in the same town. All right, so it also tells us that in Jericho, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Well, you're like, okay, well, that kind of says what it says, right? Let's dig into that a little more because the first thing that I think is interesting is that the name Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. It's derived from the Hebrew word Zacchae, meaning pure or innocent. So essentially the name Zacchaeus meant righteous one. That'd be kind of interesting in just a second. But here we can say that likely Zacchaeus was Jewish or at least had some kind of Jewish background and we also see that he was a chief tax collector and was rich all right so taxes we don't like them today well they really didn't like them back then um tax collectors were disliked people especially in judea in the first century and disliked is probably a pretty generous term more accurately would probably be closer to detested hated, reviled. And we know this because in the New Testament, tax collectors were lumped alongside sinners and prostitutes. And even outside of the writings of the Bible, they were cast alongside robbers and even murderers. Like, so, you know, think about our IRS agents today. We don't lump them alongside murderers. But back then, to be a tax collector was was kind of a rough gig in a some, some way. You didn't have a whole lot of friends. Well, Rome, you know, why tax collectors existed, just kind of like they exist today in a way, Rome required that taxes be collected on goods that passed, uh, passed through certain roads. So kind of like a toll or a tariff. And there were some cities that served as important kind of customs checkpoints. And since Jericho it was a fairly prominent city, and it's along this major route, and all these travelers are coming, you know, kind of from east to west and west to east. Jericho was a major collection point for taxes. And what Rome would do is that they would contract this work out to people to be tax collectors. So we also have to keep in mind, well, who was Rome? Rome was essentially Judea's, the Jewish people's, enemy oppressors at that time and so the jewish people despised the taxes in a way they despised the tax collectors 
Because, well, they were in collaboration with their enemy. They were in collaboration with the Romans. But not only that, there's layers to why they didn't like these tax collectors. So not only did the tax collectors collect taxes, but, you know, they needed to make a little money, too. And so maybe, you know, call it a little service charge or something. They would add in their own fees or their own taxes on top of Rome's taxes. And there wasn't a whole lot of checks and balances for this. This wasn't a very, you know, uh, uh, equal opportunity employment kind of thing. They just kind of set what rates they wanted and they demanded it of the people. Sometimes extorting people. Well, obviously that's probably not looked on very favorably. And we know that Zacchaeus was rich in this profession. But what's also interesting is that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. We hear about tax collectors a lot in the Bible, but this is the only place in the New Testament where we actually see the title chief tax collector. So he's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. So likely meaning that he was either the sole guy in charge of all of Jericho's trade and imports and the taxes and everything, or he's at least, we can say, upper management, right? He's, he's a chief tax collector. But remember I mentioned that Zacchaeus has a Jewish name. And here he is working for the Romans, the Jewish people's enemies in a way, taking their money for Rome and also getting rich off of his fellow countrymen. Zacchaeus is not very well liked, as we'll see a little later in this passage as well. And on top of that, his name meant righteous one. It's just kind of ironic in a way. So that's, that's kind of our context moving into this, but let's see what happens then. Because this, what happens, the story of, of Zacchaeus is interesting. It gets our attention in a number of ways. So it continues on in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You know, Zacchaeus, because of his, the nature of his job, you know, looking for, for caravans of goods coming up and down the road, he probably focused a lot on that road that went through Jericho. I doubt that people voluntarily stopped to pay taxes. I'm sure he had to watch. He had to police. He had to stop people down and say, hey, stop. Let's see what you've got in the cart. You know, weigh everything out and impose the tax, take a little for himself. He had to manage all that. For him, it was job security. He had to send money to Rome or else they would oust him. He had to provide for his own well-being and his own, um, you know, standard of living. Watching that road was how he made his money. That was his, his life. And so he probably watched it carefully. However, what had Zacchaeus' attention on this particular day coming down the road was not, you know, cargo. It wasn't goods. It was a person. He was looking for a person. But there was a problem. And this is kind of where the story gets a little comical. 
You know, the problem was he was vertically challenged, which I can't relate to at all. I don't know what that's like at all. Y'all aren't supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> so he does the only thing that he can think of, which was to climb up a tree so that he could see over the crowd which was in front of him. And so he's up in this tree, and people probably all have their backs to him. They're probably not paying much attention to him, right? And Jesus comes to this place, and he stops, and he looks up, you know, at this little, little man in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, by name, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Here again, just like when Jesus called forth to the blind man that we looked at last week, Jesus looked past the crowd. Jesus looked past the crowd, and Jesus called Zacchaeus to come to him, just like Jesus did with the blind man. And so when Jesus calls to Zacchaeus to come down from the tree, Zacchaeus kind of makes these, uh, we get evidence of this a few times, but Zacchaeus hurry and come down from, I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down. There's a sense of immediacy to it. Hurry, do this today. So Zacchaeus did, and the fact that he did this, you can already maybe sense a change in Zacchaeus. You know, I bet he didn't meet many people on the road uh, very joyfully. I bet, you know, that was probably more of a, a tense situation. But Jesus called him, and something within his heart must have stirred because he joyfully received him. In verse 7, it continues on. And this is interesting, too, because the perspective completely shifts. So instead of talking about Jesus or Zacchaeus, now the focus is on the crowd. You know, at first the crowd was just the, the, the roadblock. Zacchaeus couldn't see beyond the crowd, so he went in the tree. But now the crowd is in view and says that when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So here we can see just how the people of Jericho thought of Zacchaeus. He's a sinner. They didn't think that he was the righteous one as his name implied. They didn't think that he was good enough to be called by Jesus. Zacchaeus, that man, is a lowlife. He's a sinner. He doesn't deserve to be hanging out with Jesus. I was looking at this verse. I don't know if it's so much that they were mad at Zacchaeus as that they were upset Maybe with Jesus. Why, why was the crowd grumbling? Who are they grumbling at? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who's the he? The he's Jesus. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of the man. It's possible that maybe all their disappointment resided on Jesus. How could Jesus stoop to the low level of Zacchaeus, that sinner, that tax collector? I thought Jesus was supposed to be, I actually thought Jesus was the righteous one, not Zacchaeus. But now Jesus is having dinner, he's, or whatever he's doing, he's talking with Zacchaeus. Whatever the case, they're unhappy about it. And then the scene shifts quickly again. So that's verse 7. Verse 8, it shifts again back to a dialogue, kind of a personal behind-the-scenes, this little dialogue between Zacchaeus and Jesus. And it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Notice what he calls Jesus here, Lord. 
The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus responded, saying to him, Today, there's that immediacy again, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus had a life-changing effect on him. God's grace grabbed hold of Zacchaeus and sparked a change in his life. And because of that, Zacchaeus confronted the ways in which he had wronged people. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, I'll hang out with you if you do all these other things for me first. Jesus called to Zacchaeus as he was, where he was, called him to to enter into this new position, this new relationship with Jesus. And because of that, Zacchaeus has this complete change of heart. He wants to make restitution for things that he had done wrong. He wants to make things right again. He wants to live honorably. He wants to give back. He wants to give generously to others. He no longer wants to be defined as the man who extorted money from others, but who gave back to others. You know, often we talk about there's things that we need to change about ourselves. We talk about them as, you know, I really should do this, or I should stop doing that. But we also were tempted a lot to procrastinate on those things and kind of put them in the perpetual future. Yeah, I know I said this last month, but I really should do this. I know I said that last year, but I really should do this. But that's really easy to do in matters of faith. So often we, our, our present lives, we're, we're so caught up in everything going on right here and right now, and we're concerned with all the pursuits that we've got going on, that we put off those things that we know we should do. When Jesus called to Zacchaeus, he called him to come down from that tree without delay. And Jesus said, I'm going to meet at your house today. And Zacchaeus wasted no time in coming to Jesus. What's also interesting is that when Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. That verb for give is in the present tense. I give to the poor. But if you have the the NRSV, if you're looking at that, and that's why I didn't choose the NRSV today, it, I think it's, it blunders a little bit because it puts that in the future tense. In the, in the NRSV, it says, I will give to the poor. That's actually not what it says. It says, I give to the poor. Zacchaeus wasn't putting things off. That's not what the passage is talking about of, oh, I will change my life. I will start doing these things. He says, I'm doing these things right here and right now. It's a present thing. It's easy, I think, for us, you know, we say, well, I'll get around to that when life lightens up a little bit, you know, when, the, when there's maybe a little more security with work or maybe after I retire or when the kids get a little older. But the change that we see in Zacchaeus' heart is immediate. I think there's sometimes that we need to look at our own lives and our own hearts and say, what, what have we been putting off? What changes do we need to make right now? Where is Jesus calling us to right now and how can we respond right now. Zacchaeus was living in the present for Jesus. 
And that caused Jesus to respond, today salvation has come to this house. Like, it's like, you get it. You finally get it. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The passage that we looked at today with Zacchaeus, if you hold it alongside the passage that we looked at last week with the, the blind man, they're interesting. I think, I think Luke puts them together purposefully. Because we're in the same town, right? We're in the same town of Jericho. We're probably on the same road that runs through town. But yet we meet two very different individuals. Last week we met a poor blind man begging for money who depended on others just to get by, just to have needs met. He had very little power. And today we see a rich man who used his power and his authority to take from others in order to gain more wealth for himself. I mean, two people almost couldn't be more different. Yet, even though their backgrounds and their circumstances are different, each of them had an encounter with Jesus. Both of them needed Jesus, and both of them were changed by God's grace. So that tells us no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what our past or even current circumstances are, whether we're rich or poor or healthy or battling illness or ailments, whether we're tall or short, black, brown, white, famous or anonymous, retired or in preschool, we all need Jesus. So how do we encounter Jesus in our lives? How are we changed as a result of our encounter with him? How do we live it out? How do we share it? How do we express this salvation that we have? And it's not how will we do that, but how do we do that today in the present? There's one thing that I think is important when we, when we consider maybe where Zacchaeus is coming from in this, and it's back in verse 3. We won't flip there on the screen or anything, but it says that it gives us the reason why Zacchaeus went up in the tree in the first place. Like, why, why did this man, this rich man, go and climb a tree to see a person? And it tells us that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And I think that's a good encouragement for us all. What would it be like if we intentionally sought to see who Jesus is? I doubt we'll have to, you know, go climbing trees to do that. But we do have prayer. We do have gathering together around God's word and in groups. We have worship where we come to a place to where we want to know who is Jesus and who is Jesus to me and what is Jesus, me, Jesus calling me to today. Not to get to later on in life, but who is Jesus or what is Jesus calling me to today in the present tense. So as we wrap up, listen to God today. Embrace God's love and grace today and follow Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that you have created us, 